This is the Amazing Education Podcast. Powered by the Ames Community School District, I'm your host, Eric Smith. On today's episode, we're joined by Dr. Chad Dumas. We're going to have an amazing conversation about the importance of using data when making instructional decisions and what that looks like at the district, building, and classroom levels. Dr. Chad Dumas, thank you for being on this episode of the Amazing Education Podcast. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. This is a very, we're going to talk about data decision making and how school districts should be using data nearly constantly. And that is a very broad topic. And so my goal for us is to really find ways to narrow this topic down so that it really makes sense to all of us. And so we should all be using data, correct? Absolutely. I, uh, early on in my career, I heard someone say, in God we trust, all others bring data. And so that's been uh, kind of a mantra of mine ever, ever since. I, I've never heard that. I, I, that might come up uh, more often now, I think. That's pretty good. So what does that look like at Pick any one of the levels. I mean, at a district level, at a building level, at a classroom <clears throat> level, what does that look like? Yeah, so uh, first of all, with regards to data, just the term itself, I think uh, it's helpful to think of a broad variety of data. Uh, sometimes we think data is just numbers, and while numbers are a part of data, there's a variety of data sources. And so I tend to prefer to use the term evidence. Um, so because evidence is not just numbers, right? Yeah. So what we want to look for is evidence of practices, evidence of uh, improvement in student learning, evidence of improvement in our practice as the adults in the room, et cetera. So, um, so with that broad category of evidence, then you've got things like achievement data, you have program data, um, perception data, like yeah. the panorama type data, the yep. demographic data of who are our students. And so when we look at comprehensively through the lens of those four different types of data, then we can get a really clear picture of who are we and where are we going and how are we going to get there. So I really like that because I think there are some of us that are very data savvy. Mm-hmm. And so they can look at these numbers and it makes sense to them. But I would imagine for the vast majority <clears throat> of people, and uh, you know, I can include myself into this, It is a lot of numbers and it requires a lot of effort and energy to kind of dig down into it. So I I really like the use of the word evidence because that makes sense to me. (laughs) Right, right, right. Absolutely. And so many times when we think of data, people just think of, for instance, the ISASP results just came out, the Iowa State test. Uh, So those results came out and that's one type of data, right? And that's one piece of evidence, but it's not the only thing. Uh, here later on this month, we'll be sharing the panorama data, mm-hmm. perceptual data. Again, it's one piece of data, and it can be uh, sometimes it, we can get into a, a, a pattern of looking at one piece of data and mm-hmm. coming to a whole bunch of conclusions without really taking a look at all of the evidence uh, and seeing how all these pieces fit together to give us a comprehensive picture. Yeah, yeah, right. I, I think that's uh, very helpful. So, how can data use have an immediate and direct impact, like on instruction and in the classroom. Um, let, maybe let's start at that level. In the, at the classroom, like w- what can teachers be doing? Yeah. So, um, if I can step back for a second yeah. here. So, in the same type of area of, as I talked about, a broad look at evidence. Same with achievement data. So we've got once a year tests mm-hmm. that are like the ISASP test. Yep. We've got multiple times a year tests that are like the FAST 
or the MAP tests. Mm -hmm. And then you've got like unit type tests that teachers are giving maybe every four to six weeks. And maybe okay. they're common at a grade level. And then you've got daily types assessments and even minute by minute uh, formative assessments is the term we use in education. But, yeah. you know, minute by minute, am, am I noticing what kids are getting and what they're not getting okay. every minute of every day? Um, there's term uh, terms known as assessment of learning mm -hmm. and assessment for learning. And so of learning are the ones that get broadcast widely, like the ISASP results yeah. and FAST and things like that. But the most important assessment data that a teacher has is the assessments for learning. So that's things like in the classroom, I'm going to ask kids to give me a thumbs up or thumbs down, a fist to five, using uh, whiteboards to jot out the answers and show them so I yep. can see their thinking. Uh, informal conversations with kids as, as they're working on something. Tell me how you got to that answer. Um, you know, those types of things that are minute by minute, yeah. that's the most powerful data or evidence to really inform instruction each and every day. And that's the most important uh, data that improves a system. Yeah. So I think you talked about it, but I'd like to take that uh, strand even a little bit further. So this is right now data or mm -hmm. evidence, and actually I like the word evidence better. Mm -hmm. What do we do with that? Yeah. Or what can we do with it right away? And I, I would imagine what are our teachers doing that right away? Yeah. So, so teachers who are good at their craft yeah. uh, are taking that every day data, every minute data, and they're making adjustments to our instructional practice. So, uh, for instance, I was in a classroom uh, just last week uh, at a school, and a teacher was sitting down and conferring one-on-one -on -one with kids. And so the kids would come up, and they had a little folder. They'd open the folder, and in the folder it had what they were working on. Uh, it had uh, the books that they were reading. And so the teacher was able to have these conversations with the kid right there, one-on-one. Um, -on -one. So tell me about what you're reading, and what are you learning as part of this? And remember our target, and, and she reached over, and referenced on the wall. This is our target. Yeah. Um, so tell me how you're applying that to your learning today and things like that. So that's in the moment uh, evidence. And it's really a lot of lot of wheels in motion because, you know, teachers plan, they have this idea of how the day is going to play out. And probably within minutes of starting the day, we're adjusting. Yeah. I love the quote. Uh, Madeline Hunter is a really big name in education from the 60s and 70s, okay. maybe 80s even. I think she's passed a few years ago, but uh, she at one point said that teachers make on average 6,000 decisions a day. Um, and so when you think about the number of decisions, no wonder we leave the, the, the school at the end of the day exhausted because yeah. we are making decisions every minute of every day. Who am I going to work with at this point? How am I going to address this? Yeah. What content does this kid need, et cetera? Uh, teaching is, I would argue, the most complex profession there is. Um, and so... Yeah, lots of minute-by-minute minute decisions. So let's take that now to that was happening in the classroom, and let's let's build yeah. outward from that. So we're looking at building evidence, which mm -hmm. I think looks very different because in the classroom it's right here, right now with this student and this student and that student. But at a building level, yeah. you know, say in elementary we have four or five hundred students, and high school, middle school even bigger. Yeah. What does that look like? So yeah, so even before a building level, there's a, a level in between, and that is like a grade level team. Oh, okay. Yeah. So at a grade level team. Um, what uh, we want teachers to be doing is creating common formative assessments. So mm -hmm. even though I'm doing all of these formative assessments one-on-one, -on -one, maybe there's some common things. Like, for instance, at the end of this week or midway through this unit, we're going to have an exit slip. Mm -hmm. And we're going to ask every kid these two or three questions, and they'll be the same questions among all four third-grade teachers, for example. Yep. And then we get together after that, and we compile that, and we look, and we analyze what, what are kids' misconceptions, 
uh, that we need to address, what are things that they're strong on, and then maybe we do some things intervention-wise to group kids differently between yeah. the four of us to meet their needs. So, so, so that's before you get to the school level, right? Okay, yeah. So then once at the school level, then we, then we, we don't necessarily have common formative assessments uh, unless you're looking at something maybe like in a reading. Uh, but my experience is like uh, many times schools will have a writing, a common writing assessment, where maybe once or twice a year, all the grade levels have a common prompt, all the grade levels write to that, then they use a common rubric and assess that. And so at a building level, then we can get together and look at students' writing and analyze that based on the criteria we have. We can identify areas of strength and weakness, um, and then we can have some goals for ourselves as a building. Yeah. Um, now, that can happen also with your FAST assessments, with your yeah. ISASP, et cetera. So, um, yeah. Can, can you go back and, and quickly talk about you referenced FAST and MAP? Like, what yeah. type of assessments are, are those? Yeah. So the FAST assessment is um, a, um, a screener for reading. Uh, there's also a math component as well. Um, and so that's given to all of our kiddos at certain times of the year mm -hmm. to see if they're meeting benchmark at the beginning of the year, the middle of the year, the end of the year. Um, so, and so because it is at different times of the year, the cut score changes. So uh, an example I might give is, you know, um, say in uh, fourth grade, we want kids to be able to run a mile in 10 minutes. Well, in fifth grade, we probably want them to run a little bit faster, right? Maybe sure. nine and a half minutes. Yep. And in sixth grade, so so the, the cut changes. So same with the FAST assessment. That cut score changes during the course of the year because we want kids to be able to read faster yeah. or comprehend right. more, et cetera. Um, the MAP assessment is a, uh, a norm-referenced assessment. So what does that mean? That means it's, it's normed. It, it, the items themselves are on put on a bell curve. Um, and so um, it is what we call an adaptive test. So I take a, the first question. If I get it right, then the next question is going to be harder. Oh, and if okay. I get it wrong, the next question is going to be easier. Yep. And you take enough questions until you're getting about half of them right, half of them wrong. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. And then it, it identifies where you are on that scale compared to how other kids in the sure. country um, or other kids who are in the norming sample yeah. did on that assessment. And I know that you mentioned this once already, but that's part of the story of, right. you know, a student or a building or a grade. All of these are, are they all kind of work together right. to, to paint a picture for us. Yeah. Sometimes you'll hear in education, people will use the term data driven. Mm -hmm. uh, and I personally don't like that expression because if it's data driven, then we're removing thought. And oh, okay. these numbers provide a story. And so we know it informs. So I prefer the term data informed. Okay. So we take the data and that informs what I'm going to mm -hmm. do. But, it, you know, we, we all have known people, or maybe we are ourselves, who don't test well. Uh, and so I come to school and I take this FAST assessment on a given day. And um, maybe that doesn't really determine how well I am. So yeah. I can't just take that data and straight up, that needs to inform Maybe yeah. I need to do an additional assessment, or I need yep. to uh, have a conversation with the kiddo, or maybe I need to, um, you know, find out what's going on in their personal life. And, you know, it, it informs my action. It doesn't just drive. If it's driven, I'm going to take that test score and say, oh, this kid needs X. Yeah. Yeah. Kids are kids. And, and I find so they're well, people. What you sparked uh, in my thinking here is, you know, a lot of times the assessments, they're looking at, you know, A, B, and C, <clears> and that may not be areas where students excel, but, you know, we're also teaching things, you know, like collaboration with each right. other and, you know, creativity and, you know, some of those mm -hmm. things also get slipped yeah. through the cracks as far as what we're assessing as well. 
Yeah, we haven't gotten good at being able to assess on a standardized test, critical thinking, yeah. creativity, problem solving, right. collaboration. And these are skills that when you look at what employers want in the 21st Absolutely century, essential. those are the things that they want. Yes. So we talked a little bit on this, so maybe we don't have to go um, deep into it, but we talked about um, state assessments and how, you know, that's the big big banner, big poster of, of assessments and, and funding is based on it. And I just kind of want to come back to, do we put too much emphasis on that? Um, are we putting the right amount of emphasis on that? What are your opinions or thoughts on that? It's important. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a piece. It is a piece. And it is an important piece. Yeah. Um, uh, I know in my ex previous experience, it really depends on the district, how okay. much, uh, whether it's too much or not enough. Um, we're about learning, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and these are tests that are measuring key skills that someone has decided is important. Yeah. So, for instance, on a reading test, there's some vocabulary. There's some comprehension. There's some writing Believe it or not, on a multiple choice test, <laughs> they have writing components. Okay. Um, so, so these are components of what it means to be a, an educated person. And so regardless of whether or not I or you or anyone else personally believes that these are important tests or not, they are measuring skills that, that as a state, we have said kids need to, to be able to do. And so um, whether there's an overemphasis or underemphasis, I don't know. I would say that if, if we don't look at them, we're doing ourselves a disservice because these are the skills that, uh, knowledge and skills that kids should have. Yeah. Somebody has said they're important. So. And they are. <laughs> <laughs> we, you touched on a few things, but I kind of want to come back to them <laughs> specifically. And one of the notes that I wrote down for this episode was data as collaborative. Mm -hmm. Response to that? Yeah. So uh, it, what's... Somebody once shared with me, you know, if I if I hold up a beach ball um, and you look at it and you say it's red and I look at it and I say it's yellow, well, we might be both right because that's the side we're looking at. Okay. And so it's the same with data. So when we bring data, you bring your background and perspectives. Mm -hmm. I bring my background and perspectives and others. So we need that to look at the data to be able to, to – draw observations, and then to make hypotheses about, okay, so what does this mean? What, what might we do based on this data? Um, which actually brings me to, a, to another point, which I think um, we've gotten uh, not so good at just in the world at large, is we like to take one data point, and by golly, that's the truth. Mm -hmm. um, and those who use data a lot will tell you, no, you need data is for trends. It's for yeah. patterns. And in order to do that, you need to have multiple years of data. Yeah. And so um, one of the things for me, when I look at one year of data, it's like, okay, that's that's interesting. Yep. I'm glad that's there. Um, I'm not going to do a whole heck of a lot with it necessarily. Two years of data, okay. Now I can maybe start to see some things, but uh, statisticians will tell you, you know, flip a coin. It's going to go up or it's going to go down, yep. right? Once you have three data sets, and whether that's three times in three years or three times during the course of a year, once you have three data sets, now you can start to see trends and patterns. Yeah. Now, as a system, we can start acting on that with, well, with full force. Yeah. And so um, that's, I think that's just a real key piece about data as well, that we need to make sure that we're looking for trends and patterns, yeah. not just one-offs. Yeah, I think that's uh, incredibly important because I think um, we can find data to probably prove a lot anything that we want. Yeah. Um, but on the flip side of that, I think 
that data can be used to be very eye-opening mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And I think not only in our community, but across the country, um, I think data has proven without a doubt that there are equity issues mm-hmm. in our mm-hmm. schools, ours yep. included, but yep. uh, but across the state, across the country. Yeah. Um, opportunity gaps, um, there, there are achievement gaps across the board. And I think that there's probably not, there's not a way to, view some of that differently. Um, and I'm sure there's other examples that, yep. you know, evidence without a doubt shows us areas where we can improve as, as a district and across the state and yep. Yep. et cetera. Absolutely. As individuals. Yeah. As in, thank you. Yeah. As individuals. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about goal setting mm-hmm. using evidence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I think in the process of goal, t- I mentioned those four different types of data earlier yeah. and because we are about learning, the achievement data is the most important yeah. um, or, or the first that we want to look at. So if we look at how we're doing through that lens of achievement first, and then through there, then we can start to look at program, uh, demographic and perception data. And that really through that process can help us get to, um, goal areas that will be meaningful and strategies and actions that will really, uh, move the dial. Um, the process of goal setting goals in my mind, isn't just an academic activity. Um, it's to do something, right? And so when we want to do something, we want to do something that's going to have an impact. And so I can do a lot of different things, which of those things are going to have an impact. And so the data helps us to get to goals and strategies that then are going to have an impact. Yeah. Um, yeah. What does perception data tell us? So perception data broadly tells us how people feel. Um, and what's interesting in my work with data over the years is that uh, there's powerful perception data that we don't necessarily think of as perception data. Like typically when we think of perception data, we think of surveys. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, there's also powerful uh, perception data in attendance. Yeah. Uh, student attendance, staff attendance, right? It's These a nonverbal. Exactly. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. It's a nonverbal. So, uh, so in, in my experience, looking at some of those, now, attendance could also just be, you know, other things, but it can be perceptual. You know, yeah. if, if uh, a kid is going to six out of seven classes a day and the seventh one, they're constantly missing and it's not because of athletics or activities that's that says something that kid is their behavior is telling us that they don't uh feel valued loved appreciated whatever there's some perception data there yeah um it came up at you know a a board work session that we were um with and we were talking about soft indicators how does that how, how does having you know, looking at soft indicators, how does that play a role? To me, that's evidence. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if we're flipping out data and evidence mm-hmm. um, in, in similar ways, those things also kind of play a role. And so when you talk about, uh, you know, attendance, we can get data on, um, mm-hmm. we can get numbers on, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, behaviors. One, and this is a, a previous school that I worked at, um, they took a survey, and one of the questions on there was, uses the word we to, to represent our institution. And so for me, uh-huh. like that is something like I always hear in other people in, in regards to culture, like that's uh-huh. always a soft indicator to me that right. they're a part of this organization and, and, and really looking to um, make improvements in that area. So yeah. Yeah. Anyway. What, what that makes me think of is um, 
the the idea of leading indicators and lagging indicators, okay. right? So typically, uh, lagging indicators are things like our achievement data, yeah. right? We don't get the ISASP results until a period of time after. We don't get map results even until after, you know. Yeah. So these like these are lagging indicators. And then there's leading indicators. And so leading indicators are things like how do people feel, uh, student attendance rates. There's things that we know that are highly correlated to yeah. those lagging indicators. And so uh, in my mind, that's where my mind goes when we talk about soft indicators, is those can be leading indicators yeah. towards ultimately achievement. That's what we're about, right? Yeah, we want kids to be learning more and than they've ever learned before. We want to be more effective than we've ever been before. And that's yeah. all in those lagging indicators, achievement being one of them. And But we need to pay attention to the leading indicators that get us there. Yeah, no, that's, that's very interesting to <clears throat> me. From a system standpoint, there are we need to have the data collection system in place and that takes up a lot a lot of time and work to get that in place but when that is in place then there's that process of taking the data and and determining what you want to do with it and really reflecting on the data and that happens at a district level mm -hmm. a building level uh, a grade level mm -hmm. area and, and in the classroom and so yep. talk about that reflection piece um, taking that evidence and, and really reflecting on it. Yeah. Um, so uh, it reminds me of uh, the statement that we don't learn from experience. People think we learn from experience, but the reality is I can do the same thing over and over and over again and never learn from it. What we, what we learn from is from reflecting on our experience. And so that's the power of, of data, of having a collaborative environment where we can look at our data, because that's what we have to do. Um, my experience has been that uh, because as educators, we're not trained in using data. So what we have to do as leaders is set up processes and protocols and allocate resources, namely time, to be able to help people look at their data in a way that's going to be meaningful. Um, so. So we don't get caught in some of the traps that I talked about earlier. Yeah. Know, traps of, oh, there's one piece of data, or I'm just going to be based on perception as opposed to achievement. Or am I getting quality, uh, common formative assessments? You know, am I asking the right questions of kids to be able to get to the information that I need? Those types of things. Uh, that's where my mind goes as a leader is to, to provide those supports to help uh, our staff being able to think about those things. So if we do a cost analysis and I don't mean money but maybe a time cost analysis you know data requires a lot of input and so there's the standardized test where you know we know students they they take the tests it gets sent off the state sends us a report back mm -hmm. and now we have it um, but when we're talking about formative assessments and things that are happening in the classroom or you know at the building pitch me why it's important that we put time into um, collecting this data and not just here and there, but you know, having that system in place. Yeah, yeah. So um, we know from 60 years of research and education that the number one factor influencing the, the learning of a student, the number one factor is the quality of the teacher and the instructional strategies that he or she uses. Number one. We also know from some more recent research, a guy by the name of John Hattie, um, who's looked at like, I don't know, mil millions of learners, maybe half a million learners or half a billion learners. I mean, yeah. there's this huge samples of all the effect sizes. Um, the number one is, is uh, the collective efficacy of teachers. Like uh, as a school, yep. we believe that we can have an impact on kids. 
I believe it's the number two. He keeps updating his research, so it bounces around, but okay. it's really in the top few yeah. is feedback to kids. Oh. And so in order to provide feedback to kids, I, as the teacher, need to know where they are. Yeah. And so that's where the power of formative assessment comes in, is in order to know where kids are, to get them to where they need to go, I need to have assessments to tell me where they are. Yeah. I found, um, I saw a graph once, and, and I think there's always in, in our mind that, you know, to get from point A to point B, you know, on a graph, you just, you move a line, yeah. you know, this yeah. way. And, and oftentimes that's not the case. It's a lot of this yeah. and, you know, back and forth. And, yeah. and that's really what the, our classroom is like. But you need to have that feedback and, and evidence to provide the feedback. And that's where growth happens. And yeah. that happens classrooms, yeah. but at every level, really. And it's being clear about where we're going. Because if I'm in Ames yeah. and I want to get to Chicago, then I know where Chicago is, and I know some mile markers that are going to get me there. Yeah. And if I'm in Omaha, I know I'm going the wrong way. <laughs> hopefully, before I get to Omaha, I'm going to right. <laughs> yes, so, hopefully. So we have to. So that's where the data comes in, and those mm -hmm. goals come in. So that because it's not a straight line. However, we do know we shouldn't be going. <laughs> yeah, correct. Yes. Yes. Very. The way. <laughs> thank you. Very correct on that. Well, this has been really good. Um, before we wrap up, I want to give you an opportunity to talk about something amazing in your world of education, maybe some things that you've seen or observed, and I just want to give you an opportunity to provide that. Well, thank you. appreciate the opportunity to be here. So yeah. um, I've been uh, – it's a priority for me to get into classrooms. And within the first six, eight weeks, I was probably at 90 to 95% of the classrooms in the district, and I continue to do that regularly with principals is to get in classrooms with them. And uh, some of the amazing things that I've seen happen, um, again, because I'm in the elementary world mm -hmm. and the elementary classrooms, is seeing how teachers are using the core materials uh, and learning how to use those better and better all the time. Mm -hmm. So specifically with uh, foundations materials at the K-3 level, which is about uh, direct, systematic, explicit instruction um, to kids on early reading skills. Um, it's just really cool to see the teachers using those and the kids responding. Um, and then the other materials that are really nice partner with those foundation materials are the reading units of study uh, materials, which then really help kids apply what they've been learning in the foundations. And so seeing kids read voraciously, um, just about every classroom I walk in, kids will have a stack of books at their desk yeah. and if they're engaged in reading at that time they've got sticky notes out and they're making notes of what they're learning and what they're thinking about as they're reading um, and if you ask a kid you know what are you you know what are you learning as a reader today they'll be able to tell you and it'll match what the teacher says uh, they should be learning yeah. whether that's about theme or about uh, what the purpose the author's purpose is or whatever you know so so this is really cool to see uh, the staff using these materials, using yeah. them well, and impacting kids in their reading. I think that's the definition of amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it really is. That's what we're here for. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wanted to thank you again, Dr. Absolutely. Dumas. Um, for everyone listening, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Amazing Education Podcast. And even so much so that you're willing to share it with others. We hope that you're able to provide a review on iTunes because that allows us to have a further reach for this podcast. And again, we want to thank you, Absolutely. Dr. Chad Dumas. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity.